How many of you are saints? Hey, we're getting better. I think just about everybody got that. Good for you. And once again, a saint is someone who is set apart unto God. Set apart from the world and unto God. When I was in high school, there was a young man uh, in, in my class who, um, he professed to be a believer. Everyone knew he was a Christian. Uh, but unfortunately, he was known uh, for what I believe was the wrong thing. He would go to anybody, and if, if he saw them doing something out of line, wrong, he would tell them, you're going to go to hell. You're going to go to hell. And, um, yeah, that, that stands out, but that I don't think that is what uh, the standing out that we ought to do. We're going to be talking here about how we are set apart and the fact that there are distinctives, things that ought to show up in a follower of Jesus Christ, distinctives of a saint. But I'd like to pray again right now. Jesus, we love you and we are so thrilled that in your incredible grace and, and uh, foreknowledge, you chose us. You chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be redeemed through your blood that we would be adopted as sons. And Father, you would give us as saints and as the church to Jesus then to honor him for his obedience and to glorify him in how you would marvelously work through your spirit to transform us from silly human beings into your beloved children, into saints. It's an incredible thing. And Jesus, you know, uh, we, we need to continue to grasp the truth of your word. So we ask tonight, as we look at your word here in Philippians 2 again, that you would guide us, guide me, my thoughts, my words, and uh, all of our ears and help us to know truth and cling to it for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Philippians 2, starting at verse 14, says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Ooh, that's a distinctive, isn't it? Somebody that does things without grumbling and disputing. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. All right, so distinctives of a saint. The first thing, obviously, from this little passage is, number one, saints do all things without grumbling or disputing. Ouch. Uh, that one, as I sat down to prepare for this one, it's, it's been tough. I, I have to confess, this is difficult for me. I grew up 
a real whiner, complainer. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed by that, but it's the truth. It just became a habit. Anything didn't go my way, and, and it's such an ugly thing. It's such an ugly thing. And it's part of why he's calling us, put that behind. Saints do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, the thing is, there's, there's a lot of things to complain about, aren't there? I mean, there are a lot of things that just aren't fair. They just aren't right. And yet he says to us as his kids, no grumbling, no complaining. Why is this so important? What's the big deal? Beside it just being annoying and childish. Well, in the book of Numbers, there's a story about the rebellion of Korah. Any of you remember what happened there? The, uh, there's a guy by the name of Korah. They're, they're wandering through the desert and they're facing the challenges of, of needing water and needing bread. And, and God provides those things. But in the midst of it, this guy Korah, he gets trouble stirred up amongst the people. And they come and start complaining about the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And what happens then is uh, Moses says, uh, God, if, this, if, if you want someone else to lead, uh, so be it. But if not, if, if these guys are wrong, uh, let, show, show, show that. And the ground opened up and swallowed him and his whole family, the whole clan that was, that was uh, being the problem at that point. This story happens, okay, the day before what I'm about to read. Listen to this. The, the next day. But on, this is number 16 at verse 41. But on the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The next day. I mean, God had just done this incredible, you would think they would still be trembling in their boots and afraid to even think about griping. But the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, You are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. It came about, however, when the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Oh, my word. Do you see what's about to happen? God is about, he's about to wipe them out. Verse 43, then Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. What does God think of grumbling and complaining? Then they fell on their faces, Moses and Aaron. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put in it fire from the altar and lay incense on it. Then bring it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. 
And God was, God was in the process of wiping them out. Why? They were grumbling and complaining. Then Aaron took it as Moses had spoken and ran into the midst of the assembly. For behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. He took his stand between the dead, the ones who were already dead, and the living. So that the plague was checked. And God honored that sacrifice that Aaron ran into the crowd. But those who died by the plague were 14,700 people besides those who had died on account of Korah the day before. And then Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting for the plague had been checked. Whoa. Whoa. The creator... Our God, who has had incredible mercy and grace upon us, is not, can I say this? He's not a fan of grumbling and complaining. Do you get that? I mean, this this is serious. Why? What's the big, why is it that big a deal? Number two, grumbling is an emotional rejection of God's providence, his will, and his circumstances for one's life. In essence, when we choose to grumble and complain, we are, it's, it's not, it wasn't just Moses and Aaron, Aaron that were being complained to and about. In essence, the people were saying, God, you're not taking care of us well enough. You're not doing what we want. You're not doing it how we want it done. And this is unacceptable. Grumbling is an emotional rejection of God's providence, will, and circumstances for one's life. God doesn't have to do anything that you want him to do. Or how you want him to do it. He is sovereign. We are fortunate that we exist. Remember Noah and the flood. The people of God or the people of the world had become so rebellious that he chose to wipe them out totally. I want us to think for a minute, who is ultimately responsible for the circumstances in our life? Now, on the one hand, we're often responsible because of the stupid choices that we make, the foolish choices that bring pain and trouble into our lives. But ultimately, does not God give his okay? Does he not have a part in what comes into our lives? Now, this is a, this is a very difficult truth for some because there are ones who have endured incredible evil at the hands of evil people. And that's something that that, uh, has to be struggled with, is how does God allow things like that? And we're not going to answer that this this evening. But we are going to answer or, or consider the fact that God 
does bring difficult things into all of our lives. He allows difficult things. We will all, unless he returns before that, we will all die. Some of us sooner than others, some of us later. But A, a saint walks with faith in the ultimate sovereignty and goodness of God, regardless of circumstances. Let me read that again. A saint walks with faith in the ultimate sovereignty and goodness of God, regardless of circumstances. In other words, a saint believes that God knows what he's doing, even though what, what they are facing might be painful, wrong, unfair, evil, twisted. God will somehow, for the one who humbles themselves before him, for the saint, he will work all things together for good. Romans 8:28 We know we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And a saint believes that And because they believe that, they are able to not grumble and whine when they face difficult things. B, a saint does not expect comfort, pleasure, and ease in this life. Again, that's coming. That's heaven. Some of us are mistakenly thinking that if I become a Christian, that all the pain and trouble is going to be gone. Oh, my word, that couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, Jesus warned his disciples and he warned those who would come later, us. You will face difficulty. The world will hate you. You will suffer. In fact, suffering is the main thing that God uses to grow us up, to help us to mature, to bring us from whiny, complaining babies to adulthood, to maturity in him. He uses suffering. Growth usually doesn't come without challenges and trials. Number three, grumbling is the opposite of how a saint should react to trials. James 1, 2-4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials must come if we're going to move beyond immaturity, period. They will come. But the thing that we can be sure of is God knows what he's doing. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but will provide a way of escape. He gives grace. He is there with us. He will never leave us or forsake us in the midst of those things. James 1.12, blessed is the man who perseveres 
under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, our hope's got to be not in this world, but in the next. And we know that the promise for the next is absolute. Absolute joy, peace, comfort in the presence of the King of glory. No more tears, no more pain and sorrow. James 5, 8 and 9. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Number four, Jesus, whom we are to emulate, endured excessive abuse without grumbling. This has always amazed me as a natural-born whiner and complainer. The fact that Jesus endured the one above all others who never should have had to suffer the slightest bit of discomfort. He should not have ever had to do anything that was uncomfortable or unpleasant. He existed in the form of God. Yet out of his awesome love for you and I and his submission to the Father, he obeyed, came and became man and obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross. And they spit on him and they hurled abuse said absolute, all, all lies. There was not a single accusation that was true about him that was, that was actually something wrong. It was true that he did call himself the Son of God, but he was the Son of God. But he didn't complain in the least. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Now, sheep don't open their mouths because they're just dumb. (laughs) But our Savior knew exactly what was going on. And yet he remained silent. Tell you what, there are times and some of you are suffering things where you need, you desperately need his presence and his grace and his strength, don't you? I have to confess, I don't think I've suffered a lot in my life. I don't think I've, I think the Lord knew I couldn't handle it. I'm suffering more and more now that I'm getting older. Seems like there's another part of my body hurting every day. But he's good. He's faithful. Number five, eliminating grumbling and disputing from our lives is part of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Remember we talked about that last week. That's what we ought to be about, working out our salvation, learning to walk out the incredible gift that we've been given. And part of that is learning to not grumble and complain. And I tell you what, that is a battle. That is, that is something I am humbling myself before the Lord and asking for his help on, on a daily basis. And I fail way too often still. But he's at work in me. And I'm finding myself able something that before I would have whined about, complained about, I'm a, <laughs> that's fun, that's great, that's all right. You know, and, I, and I can respond differently because he's giving me grace, he's changing me. 
but it doesn't come automatic. Number six, the absence of grumbling and disputing in our lives is proof of our character. Again, verses 14 and 15 of Philippians 2 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. This is, this is a proof of our character. This is important to God. And it's important in how we appear before the world. That we're not... When you see somebody that's whining and grumbling and complaining, is that impressive? <laughs> it never is impressive. It's never impressive. It's a... Ay, ay. Get your act together. And this, we need to get our act together on because it will be proof of our character. There at the end of that, verse 15, number 7 says, saints are called to appear as lights in the world. We are truly to shine. We have been set apart from the world unto God and we ought to shine Wherever we go, we ought to be visibly different than the rest of the world. We know that Jesus said in Matthew five fourteen to 16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light Shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then in 1 Peter 2.12 it says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Titus 2, 7 and 8 says, In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. And then 1 Peter 2, 9. I love this, this verse here. But you, you and me, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, we are God's, a people for God's own possession. We ought to be special. And extraordinary, actually, because that's what he deserves. He deserves for his bride, his people, to be beautiful, to be special, to shine in comparison to the rest of the world. The rest of the world, uh, it it says in, in those verses that we read at the start of the passage here in Philippians 2, are a crooked and perverse generation. That ought to be so far from us. We ought to shine in that we are following 
his ways. We are loving one another. We are not grumbling and disputing. We're beautiful. We're humble. We're his people acting like he would act. We're called to be light. And light, it gives hope. Light gives courage. Light removes doubt and fear. Light reveals the pathway. This is what we ought to be as we're walking around, as we're in this world still, until we are taken up to be with him. We should be giving others hope. We should be encouraging them. We should be removing doubts and fears. And we should be revealing the truth that does remove those doubts and fears. The beauty and glory of the mystery of the gospel. That's what we ought to be about. Then number eight. A saint must hold fast the word of life in order to be light. Philippians 2.16 says, Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. This is saying that we need to take the word of God, we need to take truth and cling to it tenaciously and not allow any compromise whatsoever. This is how we can be light. Right now, our world is so confused. This whole subjective way of living life, if it doesn't feel good, don't don't mess with it. Uh, If it feels good, doesn't matter what anyone else says about it, it's okay. Uh, This, it's madness. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And the world is crumbling as a result. Well, see, that's where we come in. We, by holding fast to the word of God and living exactly, precisely according to what it says, that's how we can make a difference. Not by telling them, you're going to hell, but telling them, this, this is the way, this is the healthy way, this is what God has said, this is what he's done in my life. And it's so wonderful to be in his way. Look at Joshua. I love these verses out of Joshua. One of the first passages that I memorized as a young man. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And that that means we should always be speaking of it. It ought to always be on our tongues. This book of the law, the ways of God, the word of God, should always be on our tongue. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, 
Then you will have success. Then you will be a light. Then you can make a difference. Now, if we're just sliding along with our culture and compromising on what God has called us to be and do, we will lose the effect of being light. We will, we will lose the opportunity to be salt and preserve and bring taste and flavor and life to culture. You know, our, our culture is garbage right now. It's absolute garbage. Uh, uh, rap music is the lowest form of, of music that the world has known since cavemen. It is, it's, as a musician, it's appalling to me. I immediately change the channel. If, even if it's Christian, I, I, I can't listen to it because it's, it's not beautiful. It's not creative. It's just grunts. And uh, why is that popular? Because our culture has declined to such a degree that it reflects, art reflects the culture. You can't watch half the things that are put onto television these days because the culture is that evil, it's that twisted, it's that grotesque, it is that far from the word of God and the ways of God that it's repulsive and it should be repulsive to us and we shouldn't go near it. We are to remain unstained, we are to remain as far from it as we can be. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Now, there's another way to look at this verse. It was interesting as I was studying that line that says, uh, hold fast the word of life. Um, um, in one of the um, commentaries that I was looking at, it, it, it said that that also could very well be interpreted, hold forth the word of life. And certainly that's, in some ways, it's the same thing. We are holding forth the word, and that's number nine. A saint must hold forth the word of life in order to be light. And, and I take that to be holding forth the word of God as in the laws, the commandments, and so on, but also the word of life, what is that? It's the gospel. And so for us, to honor God, we need to hold forth the gospel. We need to make it known. We need to present it, bring it to the world. Uh, in the, oh, what is that? MEV version, the modern English version. Philippians 2.16 says, Hold forth the word of life that I may rejoice on the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So hold, not just hold fast to the precise meaning of the word of God, but hold it forth for our culture. We need to quit just standing back and letting the world go to hell in a handbasket. We need to be bold. We need to, when we have opportunity, stand and say, no, that's madness. God has made us for this. This is healthy. This is right. The church has been way too silent. We're afraid of being called names and being disregarded by, well, the, the culture already disregards us and they're going to hate us more and more as time goes by. 
What are we going to do with the time we have left? I believe we need to stand and say, stop for the love of God. Look at what you're doing. Look at what our creator has given us. Look at the gospel. He loves you. Even in your sin, he loves you and has died for you. Hold forth the word of life. Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How can they hear it if we don't say it? We must hold forth the word of life. We must be bold. There are people, they need us to be bold. There are people dying around us in absolute death. They're in lost on their way to torment forever, separated from God. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then let me close with 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to you and I, to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We're to make a difference, folks. He did not save us just to have us then hang out until heaven comes and hope we don't suffer too much. The examples that Christ himself gave to us, the examples of the disciples. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Fox's Book of Martyrs, the saints that have gone before us, ones who have been courageous, and you know, it's not just courage to stand and, and declare the word of God. It's conviction. We should be convicted that this is our responsibility and it's our privilege. It is our privilege to be able to declare the word of God to those who are on their way to hell. And hope that in God's mercy that they are chosen and that God redeems them. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. And be light. Hold fast the word of life. Amen. Jesus, 
These things are easier said than done. And again, you know the battle that that I'm having right now and the challenge it is to transform me in that regard to that whole grumbling and disputing thing. But I'm glad that you are faithful and I'm excited because I, I know you're in the process of changing me. And the good work that you began in me, you will perfect it until the day you return. And that's exciting. And I know you will do the same for my brothers and sisters here if they will take that step of humility and bow before you and and look to you and seek you and cooperate with you to continue that transformation process. But Jesus, we also want to ask you to help us to become courageous in holding fast to your word and your ways and holding forth your incredible gospel to those who are perishing. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making your, your amazing, beautiful gospel known to us. Thank you for redeeming us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, Jesus, we invite you again. Continue your process of helping us to live like saints, even as you have called us to be through the power of Jesus and your spirit within us and through your word. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.